Good morning, Gayton, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, I'm Carl Enters, um, if you don't know me, a uh, member of Gayton, and I've uh, been here for a little over a year. Um, pleased to be here, and really thrilled that you've joined us this morning. Um, we are going to be tidying up the book of James. We've just gone through this amazing couple months of traveling through the book of James, and I don't want it to blow by us. This is an important moment in Christendom. This is an important moment in the biblical journey of faith. So this morning we're going to be talking about um, four things. We're going to talk about the person of James and the people he's writing to. We're going to talk about the preeminence of the word. We're going to talk about progression in spiritual maturity and finish up with the priority of unity in the body of Christ. So let us pray as before we open the word here. Pray with me this morning. Father, we, uh, we just thank you. We praise you for who you are. Father, that uh, you had a plan from the beginning of time that we see now as new covenant believers fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the written word, which brings life, which brings life change. Father, which enables us to know your heart and connect to it so deeply. So, Father, as we explore James this morning, I beg that you would speak, that we would have ears to hear, and most importantly, Father, hide me, the biggest sinner here, behind the cross, so that I do not dilute your message to us this morning. And, Father, we pray all of this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. What you need to know about James as he writes to these people and as he writes to us is James is a no-nonsense kind of guy. He is hardcore, in your face. He is a pastor who is fed up to hear with what he's observing in the church. He's concerned that the testimony of believers is not appealing to the culture. He's concerned that the testimony of these believers is not leading to an excitement, an invitation to the risen Lord. The way this Bible, this word, this word right here <laughs> tells us it should. He's concerned that believers are still struggling with the stuff of spiritual maturity, still struggling with these ideas and concepts of what it looks like to grow in the likeness of Christ. Where this leads us is James is writing to these believers. James is talking to us this morning as believers, and he wants us to understand that as we have fallen on our knees, 
come face to face with the risen Christ, been changed, had the great exchange of redemption, something amazing happened. Whoosh! The Holy Spirit has come to dwell in me, to dwell in you and you and you and you, all of us who are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, have the very power of God living inside of us. That power longs to see us yield to it. That power longs to connect us deeply to the plans and purposes of God. That power opens the gate that our prayers, our hopes, our fears, our dreams go right to the throne as we fall on our knees. That power connects us one to the other in a brotherhood of the Spirit that can never be broken. That Spirit inside of us connects us to the promises of God that we look forward to as we experience this fleeting life. In fact, James uses the word, our life is but a vapor, and it's over. In comparison to eternity, in comparison to the promises that God has made us as redeemed people, as spirit-indwelled people, a vapor. That's what James is talking about. You know, James wants us to recognize that this has been God's plan all along. From the garden, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. This plan has been in place from the very beginning of time. In Ezekiel 36, we read, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will wash away your sins and I will put my spirit in you. Important to us is why in Ezekiel 36 will he do that? I will wash you clean. I will take out that stubborn, hard, broken heart that you have been born with because of the fall. And I will put in a new heart, a live heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that is worthy to respond to the spirit. I will wash you in that spirit and the whole purpose is so that you will follow my commandments, follow my plans and purposes, and change the world. These are the promises that God made and fulfilled through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So as we come to the preeminence of the word, you know, this entire book hinges on chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. As we read these on the screen, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, you guys read it for yourselves, and I'll challenge you at the end to do that. But there's a couple things I want to pull out here. This is where the book hinges. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. What is James saying? 
What does it mean? What does it mean to us? What it really means is go first to what God has to say. Don't talk. Listen. This is why we have two ears and one mouth. Listening takes precedence here. And then put the plans and purposes of God before your heart's desire, before what you want to get out of this deal, and don't get angry. So as we look at that, go first to what God has to say. When we encounter these challenges, do you first say, I'm not in for that. That's not what I want. That doesn't make me happy. That doesn't solve my problem. Or do you run to the word? Do you run to the very plans and purposes of God for your life, the church, the world, all of it right here? You know, back in Job, when things start going bad, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Job was the epitome of slow to speak, so much so that at one point his wife is yipping as she was upset about what was going on, and he covers his mouth with his hands because he doesn't want to speak blasphemy. He doesn't want to speak against the plans of a God that he could not possibly understand. Can you imagine your wife, your children, your property, your livestock, everything you have gone, you on a heap of garbage, boil-ridden, miserable, having been just bereft of friends, of God even, and covering your mouth because you don't want to blaspheme the very God who is allowing this. When we talk about slow to speak, that's what we're talking about. Job. And when we talk about slow to anger, we're talking about putting God first, putting others first. We'll talk about that in a few minutes when we talk about unity. But there is a sacrifice in this. There really is. You know, there's this, this ability to allow Christ to become more and you to become less is how we move forward in an ability to put other people first to put their needs, to put the plans and purposes of God ahead of, yeah, Carl, you know, I, you know I, I want skillet in here on Sunday mornings. I want to wear shorts and flip-flops to preach. I want to, you know, I want, I want, I want, I want. That's not what God wants. God wants that every person coming in here, every person watching here today, um, feels connected, <laughs> feels met, feels like they have encountered the risen Christ all over again. Secondly, um, in verses 19 through 27, we bump up against this whole mirror thing, and you guys may remember that um, be sure to live out the message and do not merely listen to it, and so deceive yourselves. For if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes 
at his own face in the mirror. For he gazes at himself and then immediately goes away and forgets what sort of person he is. But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. That's verse 125. Remember that. We're coming back to it 27 times in the rest of this sermon. The one who looks into the mirror. What is this mirror? What is this mirror that James is talking about? He's talking about, the, he calls it the law of liberty here. Paul calls it the law of life. Jesus calls it the word, the scripture that Jesus says, I am the living word so that the word written by the prophets and the law will come to life in me. This is the law of liberty, the law of life. This is the very mirror that James is talking about. And so what he's basically saying here is, hey, this thing, Oh my goodness, it will change your life. Oh my goodness, it is valuable for instruction, reproof. Where did I read that? Timothy, yeah, that's right. That this book, this God-breathed, inspired book changes lives. It changes my life, it changes your life, your life, your life. That if we're willing to get into it, if we're willing to do the work, if we're willing to remember what it says, to live it out, and to ask ourselves, are we? Because you guys know in this book, James is challenging these people, and he's challenging us. Hey, look, I'm concerned about your testimony. I'm concerned that when you walk out of this place, you don't quite look like what you say. You say wonderful things about having been changed by the risen Christ. Some people don't see that. Some people see you be spiteful and angry and unchristian. Are you getting in the mirror? Are you getting in here? Doing the work, asking the hard questions? Are you saying, as I do my self-assessment through the word of God, I got some stuff to work on and get after it. That's what James is saying. That is the very preeminence of this word that we begin to understand who God is and who we ain't. And that's critical. You know, as James presents this, you guys should know there's 108 verses in James. I'll come back to this at the end. It takes 16 minutes. I've tried, read it several times out loud, listened to it on Audible. It takes 16 minutes to read James, 108 verses. But guess what? 54 of them are imperatives in the Greek. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Thou shalt do, thou shalt don't. James, as we've already said, is all business here. 50% of this epistle is, let's get going, 
Let's get doing. Let's do it well. You know, we talk about what this book is all the time. We talk about it being a love letter from Jesus. We talk about it being, you know, a synthetic story of God and his dealing with people. But you know what's most important about it? It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are and who we ain't. It tells us what his plans and purposes are. Not ours. His. And it reflects the call on our lives to be like Christ. You know why we like to preach James, us pastors? Because he's answering all these questions that we get asked. Here's the top three questions that pastors get asked. Am I saved? Guess what? James is saying, you want to figure out if you're saved? Get in the, the mirror. Ask yourself, what does it look like? Are you being changed? Do you feel the power of the Holy Spirit in you? Are you yielding to it? Because that's critical. And we're really good, really good at giving into the sinful nature and fighting off the Spirit. We're really good at that. Number two, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I called to? I'll tell you what you're called to. You're called to open this book on a daily basis. You're called to fall on your knees and you know, just open your heart to the God of the universe and he hears every word you say, whether you speak it or not. And you're called to be in unity with your Christian brothers and sisters so that you might accomplish the plans and purposes of God. Do I know what that looks like? Do I know how you're gifted? Do I know what you're good at? Do I know where God's gonna put you to be used? No, I don't know that. But I can tell you what you're called to. You're called to the word, you're called to prayer, and you're called to community. And that's just fact. You know, as we move into talking about spiritual maturity, James uses the adjective teleos here in the Greek, which means perfect. That's how it's translated, that you might be perfect. It's the same adjective that Jesus uses when he talks about be perfect as my father is perfect. But in the Greek, it's a little different. It means sort of completedness or maturity. And so James is admonishing us that the goal of the Christian experience is to yield to the Holy Spirit that's in us, that we might become more and more perfected, more and more like Jesus, that Jesus will increase as we decrease, that we will move forward in that maturity. Um, as we go through the book of James, as we have, you guys probably noticed that there's a lot of don'ts. <laughs> there's a lot of, hey, you're unsure if I'm saved. You're unsure if, um, you know, you're growing in maturity. Here's some good ways to know you're not. He does also highlight three positive things. Three things that are evidences, three things that we want to practice as we become mature. Serving, suffering, and sacrificing. So when James is telling us what maturity looks like in the mirror, it looks like I have 
been saved through this radical encounter with the risen Christ, whoosh, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside me, and now I'm empowered to make sense of this mirror as I self-assess as it regards my serving, my suffering, and my sacrifice. And that's where the rest of the book goes. Uh, essentially, as we go through chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, James is just listing out. He's already proved to us in the chapter 1, before we even get to this preeminence of the word, that we're wretched, sinful creatures, even though we're saved, that these temptations that come upon us are not works of God or even the devil made me do it. You got that all in you. That's who we are. We need the Holy Spirit. We need that help in moving forward in spiritual maturity. And then the rest of the book, two, three, four, five, is a bunch of, hey, you want to know where you're at? Are you doing these things? This is what it looks like to be serving. This is what it looks like to be suffering. This is what it looks like to be sacrificing. So here, I want you to uh, practice with me here. We're going to say together, you folks at home too, back to chapter 125. So back to 125, the mirror. As we look at all of these things, we're going to go back to chapter 1, verse 25. We're going to self-assess. We're going to say, where am I with this? And how do I get better? How do I yield to that power in me to get past this? So if you're drawn to the cool kids, if you're drawn to the shiny people, if you're drawn to, you know, the people who can make a difference in your life outside of church and dismiss those who aren't, if you encounter need and walk by it, or worse, just offer platitudes, praying for you, man. God bless you. Hope it all works out. If you can't subdue your tongue, <laughs> if you engage in bitter jealousy, selfishness in your hearts, boasting, lying, if you're wrestling with any of these, ready? Back! To 125, get in the mirror. If you have passion and sin that rages inside of you, you know it. You know, I, there are things that go through this head that if I said them out loud, I'd have to beat me. We all do. We all have this sinful nature that challenges us. Whatever that is, whatever rages inside of you that you can't master, back to 125. And for many of us, and I mean many of us, James is very, very clear. If you're struggling to balance your Christian life with the secular world, we call this compartmentalization. I'm somebody different in church than I am at home, than I am at work, than I am at play. James says, remember, James says, not Carl, James says, that is evil. 
straight from the pit of hell. And that's another sermon for another day. But if you, if you, like most of us, are struggling with compartmentalization, back to 125. But there's some positives in here. As we talk about serving, suffering, and sacrifice, what does that look like? When we talk about serving, it's not serving dinner. It's not serving, you know, your children. It's not serving. It's serving widows and orphans. Why? They can't make that known. I don't know whether you remember the words of Jesus when he said, give, do, in secret, so that your father knows, you know, your heart is connected to that, but you don't get nothing for it. Nobody gives you plaudits or a wreath or money. It's secret. And widows and orphans have no power, no power. They have no ability to reward you. That's serving. We're called to serve the less than shiny. We're called to serve those in need. We're desperately called to serve the lost. And we're called to serve each other. We'll talk about unity in a minute, but in reality, I'm here to challenge you if you've been a Christian for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, even 2 years, been at that, this church that long, and you haven't served, you're not serving now because I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news for some of us. There's no expiration date on this. You're 98, on a walker, carrying your oxygen tank around, God's got something for you to do. We're all called to serve this church, the church, the lost, the world, back to 125 if you're struggling with that. In chapter 5, we weren't able to really get into the beginning. Uh, Mike skipped to the end the important part, the prayer, which we'll get to in a second, but um, James talks about suffering. And I'm not talking about suffering a hangnail. I'm not talking about suffering from multiple back surgeries in the last 10 months and being miserable. I'm not talking about suffering economically or with family situations. He's talking to people who are suffering because they have said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and the world hates them. You know, we don't even hardly understand that. We live in Richmond, Virginia, in the heart of the Bible Belt. It's really easy to be a Christian here. Everybody's a Christian, it seems like. You know, first question that comes up at a cocktail, where do you go to church? You know, after, where do you work? What do you do? Where do you go to church? Um, you go to other places in America. Trust me, I've lived in New Jersey, planted a church in New Jersey, been at a church plant in Seattle. These places, whoo, you gots to be serious if you're going to say you're a Christian because people don't like that. You go to China, India, Burma, Thailand, Africa, and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you might go to jail. You might be killed. I don't know whether you guys are aware of this. Two million, two, that's M with a million, 
Christians were martyred last year for their faith around the world. That is the suffering James is talking about. So my challenge to you is, if you've been a Christian for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, even 2 years, and your neighbors don't know that you're a Christian, your co-workers don't know that you're a Christian, people at the club, the people you golf with, the people you play tennis with, don't know you're a Christian, back to 125. Get in that mirror. Do the work. Finally, as we end here, we're going to talk about sacrifice. We're going to talk about unity. There is no better picture of unity than in John 17, 20 through 23. I think, this is Carl, not James, I think, Second greatest prayer in the Bible after the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has just finished up praying for his disciples that they're going to have this powerful impact on the world. And then he turns around and he prays for us. He says, I'm not praying only on their behalf, the disciples, but also on behalf of those who believe through those testimonies that they will be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. I pray that they will be in us. Why? So that the world will believe. This is a prayer with purpose. This is unity with purpose. This is not, and I want to stress this, unity is not a picnic or a party. Unity does not always bring happiness or, you know, a good time. Unity is not about uniformity. It is not about we all got to look the same, do the same, be the same. Um, God has made us all different. All people. God wants us to reach all people. I've been involved in church plants in Europe where literally... The model is karaoke on Friday and Saturday night, handing out invitations to church in that pub on Sunday morning, and you say, what? It all looks different. Our call is to reach all people, and to do that, it may look different. What unity is, is oneness. Oneness in each other through the power of the Spirit. Oneness in the plans and purposes of God. Oneness in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's sacrifice. You know, there was a big movement. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Texas, and a movement started down there about 10 years ago called I Am Second, and big billboards went up and everything. The website's still up. I say go visit it, IamSecond.com. There's still great materials on there. You can get a cool wristband. Couldn't find mine to put on this morning, but um, the whole concept is this recognition that I am willing to sacrifice. This may not be everything I want in a church. Gosh, I hope Carl never preaches again. This guy's killing me. This may not be your thing. But you know what? It's somebody's, 
and I'm willing to sacrifice so that they might come to Jesus, might be indwelled by the Spirit, might come to be a mature believer, and the world will be changed. That's what unity is about. So if you're sitting there and you realize today, I have way too many thoughts about, I want, I need. Back to 125. I'm going to challenge us this morning. Let's commit. We've just gone through James. I don't want it to blow by us. If in the course of the last two months you have not read James in your very Bible, guess what? Don't care if you read it on your pad, your computer, your phone. I love, I love the smell of the word, so I like the Bible. But I challenge you, 16 minutes. You got 16 minutes? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In fact, I challenge you to read it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Get in the word this week. Read the book of James. Look, we did a cool thing through this series. We connected you to Right Now Media, which is fantastic. Clint's going to have the um, link up there so that you can go sign up for your own Right Now Media account. And they don't just have this cool Bible study we did with Francis Chan. They got hundreds of Bible. If you're struggling with finances, you're struggling with your marriage, relationships, work stuff, whatever it is, Right Now Media got something for you. But we utilized this video series from Francis Chan. The entire 12 episodes are one hour and eight minutes. See if you can fit that in this week. See if you can join us who have used it in small groups, Sunday schools, other circles here. The challenge this week is don't let James blow by you. The challenge is feed the Spirit, yield to the Spirit, strive for maturity. And then it ends the way Mike already shared in chapter 5. Everybody here, everybody here, I do too, have people who when the chips are down, when it's bad, we have a broken AC in our house right now. It's horrible. You run to somebody who you know's prayers seem to be heard by God directly. Like this person has a direct line to God. You know why? Because when you're saved, spirit indwelled, serving, suffering, and sacrificing, your prayers change. Your heart becomes connected to God in a way where your heart is broken by the things of God, and your prayer life changes. And their prayers seem to get answered, not because God loves them more, not because God favors them more, but because they're so much in tune with the heart of God that their prayers are directed at the things of God, the things that God is trying to do. That's where we want to go. That was how Mike ended was... You want to experience the power of heaven on earth today? Work at this. Work at your maturity so that your heart connects to God in a way that makes you fall on your knees all day, every day, connecting to God.
through these prayers that are just powerful and deeply connected. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we long, long to be more like your son. Oh, my goodness. Father, can you imagine a world where many of us come to be more and more like Jesus? Can you imagine the change that would happen here? Father, we, we want that. We want revival today. And we now recognize, as we have been confronted by Pastor James this last couple months, that it begins here in our hearts, in the work that we do to become more like Christ, that you might change the world by that. Father, convict us this week. Put us in the word. Help us. Help us to be people who are marked by the Holy Spirit and by the book. We long to be those people. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We ask that you would guide and preserve us this week. And we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.